Hello, and welcome to the ATPE podcast, brought to you by the Association of Texas Professional Educators and covering the hottest topics on Texas educators' minds today. Hello, and welcome to the ATPE podcast. My name is David George, and I serve as the editor for ATPE News Magazine. As the fourth special legislative session wrapped up last week, lawmakers battled once again over Governor Greg Abbott's school voucher agenda. Although the legislature did not pass a voucher program, it also did not pass any increases in school funding, including funding for teacher pay raises or funding to help with the costs of implementing the regular session school safety bill. We are joined today by ATPE Governmental Relations Director Monty Exter, one of the state's preeminent lobbyists on public education policy. Welcome back to the podcast, Monty. It is great to have you. Thanks. Good to be here. Let's start with the likelihood that Governor Abbott will call another special session. Well, uh, and I think a lot of people would say, thankfully, it's not particularly likely. Uh, I would say it's very unlikely that we would have one before the beginning of the year. Um, I I think that uh, nobody wants to come back over Christmas, uh, including the governor. And it's not particularly likely, even after that, that he would necessarily call them back, though it's not completely out of the realm of possibility. Um, There is some possibility that he might call them back late January, early February uh, for a couple of dual purposes, partially because he has threatened to uh, really get involved in some of the campaigns of folks who uh, did not vote in the way that he would have liked for them to vote on the voucher issue. Uh, and calling them back at that time would be very disruptive to their campaign. Uh, In addition to that, uh, the one thing on the list that you mentioned earlier, and I will say we did have some school funding, uh, some school safety funding during the regular session, but there was uh, a push for additional school safety funding because the mandate they put in the regular session was considerably more expensive than the funding they attached to it. So there was a push to do some more school safety funding. Um, While vouchers is actually very low on the list in terms of intensity of what voters actually care for some the two top things on the list are school safety funding and teacher pay funding um, sort of depending upon who you are as to which one of those is the more important to you and so uh, largely for parents it's that school safety funding And so there is some possibility that he brings them back, not necessarily because um, he has a burning desire to solve the school safety funding issue, but because he has a real desire not to have um, tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of angry parents showing up to the polls in March, blaming him uh, for not getting that done. If another special session does come about, is there any indication that a vote on voucher legislation could turn out differently? Well, first of all, there's no, it's not necessarily set in stone that he would actually even put that on the call again, um, largely because it is unlikely that it would turn out differently. Um, and there's, you know, some, I guess, reputational cost uh, to him every time, you know, he calls for a particular item and then it doesn't go his way. Um, You know, it's not impossible that he puts it on the call, and it's not impossible that it would turn out differently, but it's pretty unlikely. Um, 
the the players are fairly set um, on where their positions on that issue are uh, until we get beyond an election and have some new folks on the field. What about the school safety bill? So uh, the school safety bill really wasn't an issue of it wasn't an issue of partisanship. It certainly wasn't an issue of the school community not wanting that. It, that was really more of an issue of the House and the Senate um, or members of the House and the lieutenant governor really disagreeing on the mechanism. Uh, the Senate put forth a school safety bill. The House put forth a school safety bill. They were funded very differently. Uh, and because of that issue, neither one and because of the animosity between the two chambers right now they really couldn't come to any sort of agreement on how to make that work um, so the the house bill uh, changed up what they did during the regular session in terms of how it worked but also from a funding perspective it was going to kick um, the funding over to the voters to vote on um, in the next general election um, I believe the uniform election in May, probably, uh, and create this new constitutional stream of funding that would have pulled some of the money. Um, so we get in this stream of money, largely from oil and gas revenues, that then gets split off into some different pots. Some of it goes to state highway funding. Uh, some of it goes to the rainy day fund. Uh, some of what would go to the rainy day fund is automatically split off into some education funding. And what it would have done would be to take that, you know, large stream of funding that's coming in and split off, you know, a small river from that uh, to flow into a pot that would have been dedicated for this school safety fund. Uh, it also would have pulled in um, any money. We have a process called settle up at the end of each school year where sometimes the state formulas uh, call for uh, having more money in them than what at the end of the day attendance actually calls for paying to the districts and sometimes it's the other way around so in years where the balance sheet had money left on the state side it would have then dumped that excess money into this new pot for the school safety funding um, the senate's bill on the other hand just said hey we've got a 32 billion dollar surplus let's just write a check for this um, and so that that was kind of where that broke down. With all that said, what is the final word on public school funding this session? So I would say with regard to general funding, um, with regard to teacher pay, uh, we're unfortunately pretty much where we were at the beginning of session, uh, both in terms of the dollars that were already out there. Um, you know, the basic allotment didn't really change. Um, Teacher pay didn't really change at the state level. Now I will say lots of districts have stepped up, um, uh, particularly over the last two years, and I really see coming into this year as well, and done some things at the local level with regard to teacher pay. Um, but at the state level, no real changes there. Uh, many bills filed, none of them passed. Um, but that die was really cast back last November, um, or even before, you know, the, this is, something that we've been fighting for and fighting about um, now for five sessions during this year. Uh, but the truth of the matter is, is that we are exactly where you could have anticipated we would be based on the governor's position on this issue, which was 
no without vouchers. Um, and, and really not that he wanted both of them even, just that he wanted vouchers and so he was willing to, to give a, this carrot um, in order to get what he wanted. Uh, and without getting vouchers, he was just never going to accept any other school funding. Now, it was a little interesting. Uh, after the end of this last special session, the day after, in fact, the lieutenant governor got up and did a press conference um, <laughs> largely to tell everyone how terrible the Speaker of the House is. Um, and in that conference, he said that, and this could be some revisionist history, so, you know, grain of salt, but that, you know, he and the Senate uh, would not necessarily, in fact, would not have been amicable, maybe even with a voucher bill, in putting very much money into general school funding, i.e. the basic allotment, um, but voucher bill or no, that the Senate uh, would have been willing to do just a straight up teacher pay raise um, in a very different way. Uh, and if you look at SB2, they were. They were a very different way of funding teacher pay raises than what we've done in the past. Um, and so that was sort of news to all of us. That certainly is not um, how the general session, the first special, or not the first special, the first regular session, of the year turned out. Um, it seemed definitely at that point in time that he was also very much, you know, no voucher, no funding of any kind. Um, so again, it could have been revisionist history, but it does show us that, you know, maybe there's some room to work into the future uh, on that issue because I certainly don't see our position on vouchers changing. So you mentioned SB2. Uh, can you talk to us about HB1, SB2? HB 100 from the regular session and where they stand now? Sure. So House Bill 100 um, was the omnibus school finance bill during the regular session. Uh, it had lots of things in it. Um, it initiated in the House, and over in the House, it did not have a voucher in it. It got sent over to the Senate, and the Senate put a voucher in it. Um, and then the... The senators really said over the summer, uh, Brandon Creighton, who's the, the chair of Senate education and also sits on Senate finance in particular, said at a Tribune event, well, you know, it was the last vehicle we had left and the House didn't do anything with either our school funding bill or our voucher bill. So while we filed these two bills separately, last train out of Dodge, we had to throw everything in it. So we put a voucher in it. Um, and that's really from the beginning of session why we were like, well, then clearly you weren't serious about um, teacher pay and school funding, because if you had been, you wouldn't have put a poison pill in the last train out of Dodge, um, effectively killing that bill. And they did. Um, now, House Bill 100 had some good things in it. It had some stuff in it completely aside from vouchers that, you know, we weren't supportive of in terms of the way that it restructured some things, but it was a bill we could have worked on. Um, it died at the end of the regular session, the very end of the regular session. The first two specials, not really about public education, so we didn't have any sort of education bills there. Um, but this third and fourth special, uh, we had, first of all, Senate Bill 2, um, which was the Senate's um, finance bill. As they did during the regular session, they split the bills initially. So they had Senate Bill 1 and Senate Bill 2. Senate Bill 1 was a voucher bill. 
Senate Bill 2 was a finance bill, but unlike House Bill 100 and then ultimately House Bill 1, um, Senate Bill 2 was much more narrowly tailored. Uh, it had a very small increase in the basic allotment of just $75. And for context, to get back to the funding levels from 2019 when you adjusted for inflation, and 2019 is when we passed House Bill 3, um, you would have had to have raised the basic allotment by about $1,000 uh, just in order to get back from an inflationary standpoint to those 2019 levels. $75, not a lot. But uh, what it did do is it put more money into school safety. It doubled the school safety allotment. Now I will say the school safety allotment is very underfunded. So even doubling it doesn't really get you to where you need to be uh, in terms of paying for the mandates um, that the legislature put on schools with regard to school safety during the regular session. <clears throat> but it was a doubling of that funding. It also spent a good bit of its nearly $6 billion on a new way of doing teacher pay. Uh, so right now, what we've done in the state for a long time is said the unit of payment is going to be the student. Uh, it's ADA, right? It's students showing up is sort of how the state determines what they're going to give to districts. And so that would have continued to be true for all pre-existing funding. But SB2 set up that a new unit of pay was teachers in districts because districts would have looked and said, we have X many teachers, and then the state would have given them a pot of money in order to give all of those teachers an additional pay raise that wasn't really running through the how many students do we have equation. Um, so all teachers would have received at least $3,000, and then the, the districts were required to just pass that on through. So all teachers, it would have been $3,000. If you were in uh, a smaller district, largely rural districts, but not entirely, um, then that would have bumped up from $3,000 to $10,000. Again, as this sort of individual pot of money that didn't flow through the regular formulas and wasn't then just a requirement for districts to pay, but was still unit of payment on students, but was this new unit of payment on teachers. And so on the one hand, that would have been fantastic in terms of giving some of our lowest paid teachers in the state a very significant pay bump um, because it is those rural, those rural districts um, that due to just economies of scale uh, are paying much closer to the minimum salary schedule. Their educators tend to get paid much less. Um, so that would have been a significant bump for them. At the same time, th that funding would have then done nothing in terms of freeing up additional monies for those districts to actually do their program um, outside of just paying strictly teaching staff because that was the other thing is it was strictly teachers um, so in the past when we've talked about across the board pay raises we've been at least talking about everybody on the minimum salary schedule which is more than just classroom educators um, and still is only about half of all the folks that work in schools but at least it's more than just classroom educators this money would have been strictly classroom educators. So there would not, districts, it wouldn't have given districts the ability to give, you know, counselors, nurses, librarians, much less staff like cafeteria workers, bus workers, any of those types of folks. Districts would have had no additional money to be able to increase their salaries at all. They also wouldn't have had any additional money to be able to do anything from a programmatic 
uh, standpoint that wasn't just a hiring of somebody who wasn't a classroom teacher. So uh, we certainly uh, would have been happy to take the money, happy to give pay raises to those teachers. Um, but some of the folks on the district side who have pointed these things out are not necessarily wrong in the fact that it would have been a more limited sort of help um, for those school districts than what SB2 was offering. Um, really, we need probably to come together as a community, a public education community, during this next year before we get back into session and really have some deep conversations about how is it that we do, in fact, fund staffing salary increases and largely teachers um, because they're the biggest individual group out there, but also it's undisputed that teachers are the single largest in-school impactor of student performance. And so they probably should be overweighted compared to everybody else. But teaching is a collaborative experience. Schooling and education is a collaborative experience. So we do have to figure out how to take care of everyone while also making sure that we are taking specifically special care of our teachers. Um, neither one of the bills really did that. Uh, so that was SB2. Then you had HB1 that came in um, that literally turned into a everything and the kitchen sink kind of bill. Um, you know, it was even more of an omnibus bill than HB1 was, HB100 was back in the regular session. Basically, it took all of these different pieces of legislation that died during the regular session and threw them all together into one bill. Some of those things were great. Uh, the money in it was great. Some of those things, uh, much less wonderful. Um, and things, you know, so one of the things that we had to sort of be very gentle with on the bill and the author was to say, hey, like, even if a voucher hadn't been in this, because the House also put a voucher in that bill. And that was the House. The Senate did not do that. The House author, um, Chairman Brad Buckley out of Salado, um, put a voucher in that bill himself at the behest of the governor uh, to try to move it forward as a, as a package deal. Um, even if the voucher hadn't been in it, we probably could have only been on the bill and said, and so for those who aren't, you know, don't know out there, there's sort of three positions you can have on a bill. You can be opposed to it, you can be in support of it, or you can be neutral, which generally means uh, you're not going to go so far as to being opposed, but you have some significant concerns. And neutral is probably where we would have had to be on that bill, even without a voucher, um, because of some of the other things that were thrown into it. But at the end of the day, all those things, um, dead. Um, and really dead before they were ever filed. Um, now, the House could have made one play that they decided not to make, um, really that the Speaker decided not to make, in that they could have sent Senate Bill 2, because it had already come over from the Senate, if they had passed it without amending it, because amending it would have sent it back to the Senate for consideration again, they could have sent it straight to the governor's desk. Um, we asked them to do that. Many educators around the state asked them to do that. And we did that with the full knowledge and acceptance that Senate Bill 2 was a flawed bill. Um, but it was the only thing that would have put teacher pay on the governor's desk that was available out there. Um, and so ultimately the decision was at the house level that they weren't going to do that. And, and again, um, primarily directly at the, the speaker's level, um, whether that was, uh, in coordination with the governor so that the governor didn't have to veto a teacher pay raise bill, 
Uh, you know, can't say that for sure. If it was simply because there were too many folks that thought that the flaws in the way that that funding structured was structured would have um, created downstream issues in future sessions. Um, that's also a possibility. I mean, there are some justified and some less justifiable reasons not to have sent the bill forward, but for whatever reason, they decided not to. Um, and so that's really where we are with all those school funding bills. At the end of the day, none of them had the legs to get over uh, the hurdle, whether it was because they had a voucher in it and the education community opposed it, or because they were simply so flawed that they couldn't gain the support they needed to get past both chambers. So as an educator, how can we continue to engage uh, with the representatives and keep on fighting the good fight against voucher programs? So the first thing that everybody should be doing, um, and we've got actually a campaign up on Advocacy Central right now to do this, is there were 84 legislators, um, effectively all of the Democrats uh, and 21 of the Republicans who voted to protect public education when House Bill 1 containing a voucher came to the floor. Um, Representative John Rainey got up and uh, offered an amendment to strip the voucher out of that bill, which would have then left the bill and did leave the bill as a pure school finance bill that the House could have then moved forward. Um, so those 84 brave souls uh, voted with uh, Representative Rainey, and that amendment passed, stripping the voucher out of the bill. So we've got an Advocacy Central campaign up, um, specifically thanking those folks. And so the very first thing that folks can do is log on to Advocacy Central. And if you happen to be in one of those districts, it will pull them up and please send your representative a thank you. Um, beyond that, what we have to understand is going sort of back to your first question when I said where we're at now is where we were always going to be at uh, at this point in time. And that is because it is not as much of a policy issue. It's not that we're trying to figure out what's the right policy combination that will be right for the state. It's a political issue. Uh, and the only way you solve a political issue is at the ballot box. And so we absolutely have to have folks who are willing to show up at the voting booth and vote and vote with public education in mind and also do so very vocally. Um, you know, engage with your colleagues, your friends, um, the whole school community, which includes parents, and let folks know, hey, uh, if we want to be able to increase funding for public education, we're going to have to, in a very unified way, speak out. Um, and not next November, but this upcoming March. Um, you know, so we've got about 16, 17 of those 21 Republicans um, that will be in primaries kind of fighting for their lives. There's been a handful of them that actually just retired. Uh, so there will be open seats there, and we certainly want to try to support pro-public education candidates there. We'll also have some folks who were on the other side that have some primaries with some good pro-public education folks. Um, and we'll be telling you about those. So definitely um, be prepared, be on the lookout for more conversation about this in January. Um, as we really kick into high gear with the elections, also be, you know, planning to visit Teach the Vote where there will be a lot of information there. Um, and, you know, take this time during the holidays to rest and relax. 
but be planning to hit the ground running, not only with educating your students when you come back, but planning to really get out there and defend the future of public education. Is there still time to give to the ATPE pack? 100%. There's never a bad time to give to the ATPE pack. <laughs> um, if you want to give a gift to yourself and the rest of public education, uh, <clears throat> as we are uh, getting into the thick of this holiday season, then the ATPE pack is a great way to do that. Um, <clears throat> the most important thing that we have, right, is numbers uh, when it comes to electing folks, uh, because uh, it is people that enter the voting booth. But the second most important thing that we have is the ability to financially engage, um, both in the ability to be able to help uh, folks who are pro-public education candidates to run strong races, but also just because it takes uh, money to engage the public education community um, to help to encourage them to get out the vote, to let them know who they should be voting for and what they should be voting about all of those kinds of communications efforts, because that's what an election really is. It's a communications effort. Um, they take money. Um, the nice thing is, is that unlike the other side, where they're relying on six or seven billionaires to spend hundreds of millions of dollars, um, we're not doing that. We're not asking for that. Um, really what we're looking for is to say, okay, you know, we need to make a little stone soup here. Everybody bring a little bit and then we'll have plenty. Um, so I encourage folks to get on, um, sign up for a $5 reoccurring donation. Think of it as an investment in your future pay raise, um, because if we don't do better at the ballot box, then we're not likely to do better in getting you guys a higher salary moving forward. Is there anything else you'd like to share about the session? Uh, you know, just that... It is unfortunate that happens, what happened during the course of this year happened. Um, we spent a lot of time and effort uh, knowing that that time and effort was being spent with the goal of stalemate. Um, and so I want to say that the ATPE GR team feels your frustration because it is also our frustration. We, all three of us, got into this job because we believe in you and we believe in public education. And we did not get into it to simply forever be on the defensive. There are issues out there that really do need to be addressed. Um, you need greater teacher pay, first and foremost, but there are lots of other issues that also need to be addressed at the state level, policy issue level, um, and as long as we continue to sort of be in the dynamic that we're in, um, that's very difficult to do. And so I really do hope that we can come back together as a community in the same way we did before the session where we passed House Bill 3. It was the election before that session that set the stage. The session before we passed House Bill 3, we spent the entire session talking about bathroom bills. It was because the electorate came together and said, you know what, we're, we're done with this silly stuff. We want you to actually solve some real problems that gave us the space to pass that bill. We need that to happen again because we want to be able to do for you guys and for your students what you need. Um, but we need the whole of the public education community standing at our backs 
particularly this March, to be able to do it. Monty, thank you for explaining all this to us. As always, if you have any questions or feedback, you can send those to com at atpe.org. Uh, we encourage you to subscribe to the podcast as well as leave us a review. So thank you for being here, and we'll see you next time on the ATP Podcast. Thanks for listening to the ATPE Podcast. For more information about becoming part of Texas's largest community of educators, please visit atpe.org.